Good morning, everybody. Good morning all the way from Amarillo. It's a long way up to Amarillo. It's good to, good to be with you this morning. And so this is my first time to speak here in your new sanctuary. It is absolutely fantastic. I was here for your dedication, and I said some words there. One of the things I didn't say is a dedication that I want to say to you guys this morning is, you know, I talked the dedication about I was proud of God for all he's done in this church, the wonderful leadership of this church and the wonderful congregation here. But I just want to say what a testimony your giving has been for this church to be paid for. You know, you guys, uh, I've been a part since the very beginning uh, for when it was just a, a, you know, a prayer and a dream in Pastor Robert's heart. I remember speaking with Pastor Robert and Debbie over dinner and uh, when he told me the dream in his heart about the church and we began to talk together about all of that and then when it began in the living room and then right up the street at this church and at the other church building and all that. But you guys, I'll tell you, God has brought together a special group of people and your giving is just absolutely astounds me. Pastor Robert keeps me up on all that's going in the church. And you know, not only has God brought together a special group of leaders, but you guys are servants. You guys are the most loving people, except for the people in Amarillo. You're the most loving group of people on earth. I'm telling you, when I walk in here, I feel so loved. I really do. You know how special that is. It's just, you're, you're just such a loving group of people. I just want to say, I'm proud of God, but I'm also very proud of you for being the kind of congregation that you are. And it's just always a joy to be here. I feel like family here, and just thank you for having me again this morning. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, I know that Pastor Robert has been preaching a series on purpose, uh, destiny, and I kind of want to tag right on the end of that and bring a message this morning, and it's called Achieving Your Purpose in Life. Um, I think it goes very much with what Pastor Robert's been talking about, but I want to talk to you this morning about why God made you, why you're here, and what your purpose is in life. It's interesting there was a secular nationwide poll that was done about 10 or 12 years ago in America, and they asked people across the board, it didn't matter what their religion was, it didn't matter, you know, what their, their socioeconomic status or anything like that was. They asked people, they said, if you could ask God any question, what would you ask God? That's an interesting, interesting thing. If you could just meet God face to face and had an opportunity to ask Him one thing, what would you ask? The number one question across America was why am I here? What am I here for? That's what people would ask. Most of us, I think, would ask that question. And I want to answer, and I want to answer this for you definitively this morning. I'm say, you know, you can't fulfill your purpose if you don't know what it is. And, let me, and I'm sure you're like me, and this is the way that I am. Life is too hard. There's too much pain. There's too much turmoil. There are too many enemies to resist to get to the end of it and find out you did it wrong. I don't want the pain to be for naught. I don't want to be all of my life and all of what I've done. I don't want to get to the end of my life and meet God and for Him to look down at me and said, and for Him to say, you missed my purpose. That's not what I created you for. I want to get to the end of my life and see God and hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Anybody agree with what I'm saying? I want, I want to know for sure. I don't want it to be a shot in the dark. I want to know for sure that I am doing what God has called me to do, and I want to do that for the rest of my life. Well, I want to tell you this morning, definitively, from the Word of God, what God's will is for your life 
and help you to understand how you can fulfill that and escape the snares that are in all of our lives trying to keep us from doing this. Matthew 22, a lawyer is asking Jesus a question trying to trap him. This is not a lawyer as we know lawyers. This is a lawyer of the Word of God. This is a lawyer of the Sanhedrin sent to trap Jesus with a religious question that they can find him wrong on and uh, and then you know turn him over for crucifixion or whatever. Verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Well, listen, I'm just telling you, we're thankful this morning that this lawyer asked this question to Jesus because Jesus gave us the answer that we need to build our lives on. He said, what is the most important commandment in the law? Jesus says, well, the most important commandment, the great commandment, is love God with everything you have, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. He says, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, you have to remember, they did not have a New Testament. Half your Bible, they didn't have. What they had was the Old Testament that was made up primarily of the Law and the Prophets. And so Jesus said, if you want the interpretation to all the Bible, love God and love people. That's the interpretation to all the Bible. It's like a picture hanging on your wall. This great, huge picture. And in this picture it has sky and clouds and sun and birds and flowers and grass and and cattle and all these different elements of the picture. But behind the picture there are two nails that hang that big picture on your wall. All of that scene hangs on two nails. Everything that God has to say in the Bible, every single word in the Bible, the interpretive key of the Bible is relationship. You were created for relationship. Number one with God and number two with other people. Primarily your family and your church family. Those are the relationships that God has created you for. God is an intensely relational God, so much so that our God is three in one. Our God is a group of people in one. It's impossible to explain, but impossible to deny. Our God is a family within Himself. And God created family, the human family around Him, because He's intensely relational. The Bible says that God is love. And the Bible says that God is the one who creates us in our mother's womb. And so I want you to understand you were created by love for love. It's the only thing that will ever fulfill you, and it's the only thing that you can ever succeed at. You were created to do that. That is the thing that you can do because you're perfectly created in God's image, and God is a God of relationship. Nothing else in this life that you try to do apart from relationship and apart from love will you ever succeed at. The road is broad that leads to the destruction of people who have abandoned relationship for something else. God created you for that. Jesus, they come to Jesus and say, Lord, what's the great commandment? He says, love. And the second is like it, love. And that interprets all the Bible. All the law and all the prophets, you can understand it if you understand that everything is written is written about love and relationships. Let me just give you an example. He says all the law hangs upon the commandment to love. Well, you know, the Ten Commandments summarize the law. The law is a lot more than the Ten Commandments. The, the Ten Commandments summarize the law. 
Ten Commandments, the first four, God says you shall have no other gods before me. No graven images. Don't worship graven images. Don't take my name in vain, God says. And then the fourth commandment is to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You realize that all four of those commandments are just simply to protect the relationship. That's all they are. All God is saying, the first four of the Ten Commandments are about God and us. And God says, I want you to protect the relationship. That's all He says. The next six commandments, honor your father and mother, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, and do not covet. You realize that all those six commandments are just to protect our relationship? You can't be in a relationship with a person lying to you, or that you're lying to. You can't be in a relationship with a person stealing from you. You can't be in a relationship with someone lying about you. You can't be in a relationship with a person who doesn't honor you. And that honor begins with our family. All, all of the Ten Commandments are about protecting relationships and love. See, when you don't understand that and you look at the law in the Bible, all you see is a legalistic, austere, separated, demanding God barking from heaven through the Bible and He's barking down saying, don't do this and don't do this and don't do this and do this and do this and do this. And you look in the Bible, you know, and especially if you're having your quiet time and you get in the book of Leviticus, read quickly. Because, I mean, it's just this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. And the devil's whispering in your ear the whole time you're reading it saying, you know, God may be God, but He ain't no fun. And I'll tell you one thing, He's just like all the other people you've had in your life. He's a demanding God and you better perform to this level and if you don't, He'll reject you. And there's just this little concept of God that gets built into our minds through the law that says, God doesn't care. The only thing that God cares about is that we do the do's and don't do the don'ts. And if you do the do's and don't do the don'ts, He won't knock you down. But if you do the don'ts and don't do the do's, that's hard to say. I'm so glad that's over with. Maybe He'll accept you. Maybe He'll accept you based on the law. He's the law. Jesus says, you don't get it. Every law that I've written is about protecting a relationship. I didn't write the law to find a reason to reject you. I wrote the law to try to find a reason to keep our relationship quality and your relationships with each other. And if you don't understand the loving heart of God, you can't possibly understand the law. And they didn't. The Pharisees were a bunch of religious people that were meaner than a bunch of junkyard dogs. Because they had taken the law of God and lost the interpretive key. The interpretive key to everything God says is love, 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 love. And when you understand that, you understand everything that God says. And then he says, on, on those two commandments hang the prophets. <laughs> you think the law is harsh. You know, who are the prophets? Well, the prophets are a bunch of wild-eyed weirdos that scare you to death. I mean, you read about the prophets in the Old Testament. I mean, one of them like laid naked outside for like three years. These people were weird. And these were God's messengers. You know? And it's like, these people are wild-eyed and mean and weird. I mean, you know, it's like, yeah. A wild-eyed, weird, mean God is sending a bunch of people to scare us to death. That's who the prophets are. And when you read the Bible, it's like, well, yeah, I can believe that. Because it's like warning after warning after warning. Until you read it more carefully. Hosea 1, verse 2. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, 
The Lord said to Hosea, Go take a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. God says, You know the way I feel about you, Israel? I feel like a woman, or I feel like a husband who married a woman who cheats on him all the time. You're breaking my heart. And Hosea, you're my prophet. I want to send a message to my people through you. I'm trying to marry you. I'm trying to love you. But you're breaking my heart by constantly straying away from me. And then in chapter 2, verse 13, For the days of the bales to which she burned incense, she decked herself with earrings and jewelry, and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, says the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 16, It shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband. And no longer call me my master. God says, when I'm finished with you, when my love has had its full effect in your life, see, perfect love casts out fear. When my love has done its work in your life, you will no longer see me as a mean God up in heaven that you call master. You will see me as the loving God that I am, and you'll call me husband. And then he goes on, chapter 2, verse 16. It shall be in, or I'm sorry. Chapter 2, verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice. In loving kindness and mercy, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. It shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they will answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth. And I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. See, when you don't understand the Bible and you read the law, you're just looking at this legalistic, distant God barking down from heaven. But when you understand it, you understand what God's trying to do. And when you read the Bible and you don't understand the love of God, you read the prophets and you just think, man, God is so upset at all of us. God's warning, just warning after warning after warning, I mean, with all these wild-eyed weirdos that He calls to come tell us all these messages. And you think, well, you know something? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong. I'm, I'm sure I'm doing something wrong and I'm sure I need to change, but I don't know that I want to come home to Him. Even if I'm wrong, do I really want to give my heart to that kind of God? See, when you don't understand love, that's what you think. But let me tell you who the prophets were. They weren't wild-eyed weirdos representing some mean-spirited God who was ready to strike people dead. They were the friends of a heart-sick lover trying to call their wife home. And every prophet had the same message. God misses you. You're breaking His heart. Come home. And all the judgments are not His hatred. All the judgments are Him trying to keep you from going to the wrong place with the wrong people and destroying yourself. God says in the book of Hosea, I'm going to take you to the valley of Achor. It's called, Achor means trouble. I'm going to take you to the valley of Achor and there I'm going to speak to your heart. And from there, I will open to you a door of hope. And from there, I will give to you your vineyards. The trouble that you're in was not sent by an angry God trying to ruin you. The trouble that you're in was sent to you from a loving husband trying to make your life miserable with that illicit lover that you're with so that you'd remember him and come back. When you don't understand the love of God, you look at the Bible and you just don't get it. You can't possibly get it. 
But when you understand that every single word in the Bible is from a loving God, it drips with love. Every law, every word of the prophets is the same message. I love you. I want to protect that love. I want you to come to me and love me back. And I want to say something to you this morning. Because the same devil messes with all of us. I want to say something to you this morning. You can't comprehend how attracted you are to God. And it's not on the outside. It is on the outside because you're created in the image of God. It's everything about you. He's lovesick. He's, you're adorable to God. And I, and I know that's hard to comprehend because with most of us, you know, I say something like that and you're thinking, well, you know, I understand that God may love some people, you know, or love people in general. But when it comes to me, I just, I haven't done enough do's and I've done too many don'ts. And I mean, God can't love me till I perform to this level. I want you to understand, you know, Genesis 1, God created the world, and He said it was very good. You understand that God created you in your mother's womb, according to Psalm 139. He knit you together there, and you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You understand, in your mother's womb, when God was finished, He said it was very good. He made no mistake. And He's never changed His mind. We have two little granddaughters, 13 months old, twin girls, Abby and Elle, and they just... You know, they just captured our hearts. And people ask us if we spoil them, they spoil us. We're just, you know, we just can't wait to be around them. Our entertainment is to watch them. And you know, children are a mess. You know that, don't you? Thirteen months old, they're at that age where they're defying. You know, they, they want to do their own thing. And our daughter, Julie, our son-in-law, Corey, will say, no, L, don't do that. No, Abby, don't do that. And they do it. Don't touch that. And they, you know, the remote control's laying right there. They say, don't touch it. And they reach up and just throw greasy little hands. They grab that thing, you know, and pull it back. And then they get disciplined. And, and I'm sitting there watching that. And of course, when they eat, you know, they, they get half of it in them, half of it on them. Children do disgusting things. They smell. They spit. They drool. But you know, they're adorable. I remember, you know, back when our kids were growing up and I'd be, you know, having to spank one of them and we had a little spoon with little flowers on it and we would take them in the bedroom, you know, and swat them two or three times. And I remember, you know, children are cute when they're pleading for their lives. I remember times of disciplining our kids and I would say, turn over, no, turn over, you know, face the bed there and I would just laugh. Brent, Brent would bend over the bed and plead, cry and plead, oh, oh, Dad, oh. Julie went rigid, and when you bent her over, her legs stuck out. So when you're swatting her, you know, her legs are like this. They're so cute. They're so cute. On their worst day, they're so cute. They're cute because they're ours. The day that they handed the kids to me in the hospital, I loved them from that day. Nothing's ever changed it, and we've been through a lot. You're adorable to God. The life has put a lot of stuff on you. The devil's put a lot of stuff on you. You put some stuff on yourself. But God looks right through that. And there's nothing that could keep you from being adorable to Him. Even when He's disciplining you, He loves you more than you could possibly comprehend. There's something in all of us that wants to be desired. There's something in all of us that wants to be desired. You know, in our society, it's becoming harder and harder to be desired, isn't it? The standards just keep going up and up and up. And 
physically, the standards keep going up and up and up. The economically, the standards keep going up and up and up. And in our society, basically, what our society says is, is I will desire you if you become desirable by performing. If you do something that we deem desirable, and you know something? What we deem desirable may change next month. I found it interesting that all these anorexic girls in America that starve themselves to death to become slim, all of a sudden J-Lo comes out with a full figure and they're out buying padded clothing to look bigger. What a terrible way to live. Can I tell you something? God desires you. This morning. And you can't do anything about it. You can't perform to make Him love you more. If you leave here this morning and you live a perfect life from here on out, you can't make yourself more desirable to God. God desires you. And He's the only one that desires you purely. Our home up there, all of His children lived around it. And we had been skiing this particular day and we were home that night sitting around the living room. And uh, a knock was, came on the door and we looked up and it was him. The guy next door, the guy from Mexico City. And he walked in, and, and my father-in-law welcomed him in the house, and we sat down, my father-in-law and this man and me, we all sat down together to talk. And my father-in-law got a phone call, and so he got up and walked in the next room. My father-in-law had introduced me to this man as being a pastor, and so he knew that I was a pastor. And so when my father-in-law got up and left, this man, we were looking out the window toward his house, this man pointed over to his house, very serious, very somber. And I thought it was a little strange, honestly. And he looked over at his house and said, you see this room right here? And he pointed at one room on this side of the house. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, that's my bedroom. And I thought, okay, you're rich and you're strange. Go ahead. <laughs> and so I just thought it was a little weird. So then he looked at the very far end of the house, the other end, and said, you see that room right down there? He said, yeah. And he said, that's my wife's room. I said, okay. He said, we hate each other. The reason I built that house the way I did was to keep away from her. We do everything we can not to see each other. And he goes on and on. This is a miserable human being. For many of us, I was raised not poor, but way far from rich. I worked, uh, I worked my way through high school and college, and in high school I worked at Scrub-A-Dub Car Wash and um, making a dollar sixty an hour. I hauled hay. I plowed. I uh, hauled seed. That's what I did in high school. And I remember driving by these big houses. And uh, thinking, those people don't have problems like we have. Money will solve all of my problems. That's really what I thought. And being with my mother-in-law and father-in-law, you know, we have gotten entry into the, you know, their friends, the richest people in the world. And I've seen the emptiness. There are many godly people who are rich. It's the blessing of the Lord that makes a man rich. He has no solitude. There are many people who are wealthy who are very, very godly people like my in-laws. About four years ago, we were in Ireland. In fact, it was the week before Princess Diana died. My father-in-law rented the Spencer Mansion the week before Diana died from uh, her brother. We were in Ireland in a 50-room castle. Uh, it's where they shoot the Ralph Lauren commercials. Real pretty place. And uh, we were staying there. And uh, we, uh, the lady that rented the house to my father-in-law wasn't supposed to be there, but she was. You know, in a 50-room mansion, you can hide pretty well. And so when he rented the house from her for a week, she was supposed to leave, but she didn't. We, you know, there were sightings of this woman all week long. And uh, so 
she got a little bit more bold every day. And, uh, I mean, it's just, it's just the most incredibly beautiful place you can possibly comprehend. And, uh, so one night, sure enough, she shows up outside. We're all outside, you know, and she shows up outside, her and her living boyfriend. And she's sitting out there and, and she's got a little table full of liquor in front of her, you know, and she's just drinking, which is her habit every evening, just sit there and drink. And, and, uh, we decided we could get mad at her and try to run her off of her own property. Or we just be nice to her. So we decided to be nice to her. So we went over and sat down with her. And I sat down with her and started talking to her, you know, and talked to her for a couple of hours, her and her boyfriend. And I remember looking into her eyes. She's dead. She was anesthetizing herself with liquor, trying to fill something up on the inside that was dead. She she had polo ponies and polo fields, a, a house worth zillions of dollars, every single thing that you could think of. And I remember looking across the table at her into her eyes, and I loved her and her boyfriend so much. And I knew it was God's love. And not everything that she had could fill that empty place that only God could fill. The devil had gotten her and gotten her to believe that all these things... Jesus says, what will a man get if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? My father-in-law stayed in the Spencer mansion the next week, and they asked us to go with them. And I, I had to come back to preach. And he said, come on, I've, I've got this... Well, you know, Princess Diana's home. We're renting it next week from her brother, and we want you to go stay with us. And I said, no, we, we've got to go home. I've got to go home and preach. And, and uh, so we went home, And but my in-laws were staying in that house. And I called my father-in-law one day and was talking to him and so he's sitting there on the telephone talking to me. And while we're talking, he says, guess what I'm looking at right now? And I said, what? He said, the original Blue Boy painting. The artwork in the Spencer Mansion is insured at $100 million. $100 million but it's priceless. My in-laws were staying there. The next week, Princess Diana died. That's where she's buried. I wonder, laying in that grave, how much comfort she gets out of this house. I wonder when she died, how much pain was reduced in her family's heart by the beauty of the landscape of where they buried their sister and their mother. I was so impressed when I was growing up with material things, and I still like them because they're a blessing, as long as they come after God and my family and my church. I still like things. I'm not going to lie to you up here and act like I don't. I do. But I want to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and then get all those things. And then I have everything. I have a loving relationship with God. I have a loving relationship with people. And then I have the things around it that can be a blessing for those relationships. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Jesus says, I'll give you all these things. All these things I'll give to you. God created the paradise that Satan turned against him. But Jesus says, what will a man get if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Your soul is where you relate from. That's all it is. What will you get if you get all the world and lose your ability to relate to God to people? You get nothing. You end up lonely. And that's exactly Satan's plan for your life. Satan's plan for your life is one day you'll get to that place where you wake up and you're empty. And I've been there, ladies and gentlemen. I've been there as a pastor. Subtly, 
Satan turned my attention from the heart of God onto success or ministry and something else. And God became this big slot machine in the sky that I was going to to ask to service and to fund that thing over there. And when God becomes secondary, He knows it immediately and He resents it because of the love that He has for us. And I started trying to jerk on the arm of God for Him to give. And He just like that. It's just an iron arm. He says, I will not answer a prayer that will replace me in your heart. I will not service things. They will serve me. And I remember laying in bed empty and lonely in the middle of the night and saying, God, I'm empty and lonely. And the Lord whispering into my heart saying, Yeah, you need me. You've left me, Jimmy. You've left me for the acclaim of people. You've left me for numbers. You've left me for success. It used to be just about us. Come back to your first love. And I repent. And He always forgives me. Let me just tell you something. Your lover waits for you and He'll always take you back. Break His heart a thousand times. He'll always be standing there wanting you back. That's how adorable you are to Him. And it's how much He loves you. I'm here today to tell you that the purpose of your life is relationship, period. That's what it is. And as long as you're pursuing those relationships in your life that God has ordained, first of all with Him, He'll always bless you. He'll always be with you. He'll always be on your side. And you'll find your life being more and more blessed materially in every other way as you pursue that course. It's your purpose. It's your destiny. It's what you're created for. It's what you can succeed at. It's what will fulfill you. It's what your children will rejoice about. It's what will draw your family closer. It's what's going to make you into the real person that God wants you to be. That's what it is. Nothing else ever will. Everything else is a lie. Everything else is a pretense. And I hope I've said something today to convince you of how much God loves you and why you should 